As we look at the life of Joseph, I want us to, uh, the title of this message is Waiting on God, Full of Faith, or Waiting on God and Keeping Our Faith in the Process. Now, raise your hand if you jump for joy at the thought of waiting for God. Right? I'm going to confess to you that waiting on God is one of the most difficult things in my life. And I'm going to tell you why I think waiting on God is so difficult. Number one, uh, it is difficult for me to wait on God because His ways are not my ways. So I have to actually sometimes, most times, all the time, <laughs> let go of my reasoning so that I can trust in God and His supernatural ways when I don't see Him or see what He's up to. Second reason why it's difficult for me to trust or, or, or to trust and wait on God it's because his timing very seldom lines up to my timing. And that's just being conservative with that statement. You know, the timing of God and my timing do not correlate. They're not in sync. And that troubles me. The other reason why I, I, have, a hard I have a hard time with the waiting on God is because the journey of waiting on God is much different than what I would expect it to be as I wait for God, right? There are things along the journey that God has planned for me to go through that I would never plan for me to go through, right? Uh, things like, you know, suffering and the cross and uh, going through hardship and unexpected things. I don't want any of those things. I'm not a masochist. When I preach about the cross, I don't like suffering whatsoever. Nonetheless, God uses it for His glory and for His honor. And, you know... I, I don't like it if, you know, there, there's an issue with me and it's a, sublim a subliminal situation. And I, and I, and I really believe this is so true for me. I'm not going to put it on you, but it's the reality for me. I tend to always want to make my life here on earth a vacation, you know, and, and, you know, to use this, if I can just, if the scriptures can help me out here and making this home a vacation, but God calls us to warfare, right? This, this life here on earth is a battle. And there's joy and there's peace in it. But the reality is that sometimes we don't want any war. We don't want any troubles. We just want to go through life and uh, waiting on God on a bed of roses without issues. Amen? <laughs> but that's not the road or the journey that God has for us. And He does it for His glory. So today I want to talk about waiting on God and keeping our faith in the process of waiting on God. And Maybe some of us are here today in need of God to intervene in our lives because we are between a rock and a hard place. Maybe we find ourselves in such a place where if God doesn't intervene, the deep waters that we're currently in will, over, will overtake us. Or maybe some of us have said yes to following Jesus and we actually meant it. And we've done hard things in order to be obedient and to walk in our calling, but things are not working out the way that we expected them to. Anybody ever been there? Whatever the case may be, the reality is that we're all waiting on God, right? Uh, you know, uh, the greatest wait is to wait for His return. And one of our hopes, our living hope, is that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we know that when we stand before God, it won't be in judgment, but He will embrace us in His love. That's hope, right? And we're awaiting Him. And so this message today is to encourage you to not let go of your faith as you wait on God. 
right? I want to encourage you not to let go of your faith in God and in His promises as you wait on God. And I believe that there's a lot to glean from the life of Joseph in regards to learning to wait on God, faith-filled. Amen? So, before we get into the scripture that I want to read, what I want to do is recap the life of Joseph so that we can catch you up, so that, so that I could catch you up to speed in regards to the scripture that we're going to read for today. Now, Joseph is the first son of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob had other children from his other wife, Leah, who also was Rachel's sister. Now, Rachel was unable to have children, and she lived in reproach because she was barren, and she was considered judged of God. Nonetheless, God removed that reproach, according to Rachel's words. God has removed my reproach the moment that Rachel had a child, and that child is, is Joseph. And Joseph was loved by Jacob because it was a child in his old age. Now, Joseph was favored by Jacob, Jacob over all of his other sons. And this created conflict in the home. Right? Imagine having 12 children and favoring one. How many of you guys think that that will create some conflict in the house? Right? The Bible says that Joseph was favored by his father. And to add injury... Uh, Jacob, excuse me, Jacob made this robe of many colors just for Joseph. It's almost as if going home to your little children, you know, all age seven to three, taking one Snicker bars and just giving it to one and telling the other ones, just look at them, rejoice over that Snicker bars. Aren't you happy for them? That's wrong, right? <laughs> it's wrong. The Bible says that Joseph's brother grew to hate him. They grew to hate him. Now, to add more injury to the situation, God gave dreams to Joseph. And these dreams were significant. But Joseph seemed not to have the wisdom to reserve these dreams from his brothers or his parents. The dreams are as follows. Oh, guys, let me tell you this dream, Joseph said to his brothers. I had this dream that uh, all these things were bowing down before me, the sheaves and, and things were bowing down before me. And his brothers rightly interpreted, so you're saying we're going to bow down to you? Many of y'all think that's not going to win the love of your brothers. Right? And then he had another dream, and he shared it with his parents too. He said, the, the, moon and the, uh, the moon and the stars, they bowed down to me. And his father said, are you saying that we're going to bow down to you too? And even that was offensive, right? So Joseph seemed to not have the breaks and not know who to share these dreams with. Joseph had the favor of his parents. He also had this, these God dreams. And in the process of that, pay attention to what's happening. He has favor, the favor of Jacob. He has these God dreams. And he has opposition. Opposition. Now, at one point, Jacob says to Joseph who for some reason or another is not working with his brothers, says to, his, to Joseph, go check on your brothers who are working, uh, who are grazing the, the, the flock. Go check to see what they're doing. Not a really bright situation, right? Why is Joseph not working with them in the first place? Right? But there he is, he's going, he's looking for his brothers. And the Bible says that his brothers saw him from afar and they said, look at the dreamer, he's coming our way, let's kill him. Right? So just in case we want to know how much they hated him, they're plotting to kill the man. Right? 
And they did so. They thought, let's just kill him. But Reuben convinces them, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. They beat him. They take his robe of many colors away, right? And they put him in a pit. Now, I want you to pay attention to what happens in the story is that while he's in the pit, Lord knows how long of a time uh, he's in that pit, but his brothers and, and their anger towards him doesn't change one bit. Instead, they're still plotting to kill him. Now, I understand in a fit of rage, maybe going off and doing something wrong, you know, that you regret. But that's not what's happening here. They go off in a fit of rage, and that rage continues in their heart, and they are still plotting to kill him. Finally, a brother says, hey, we're not going to gain anything if we kill the guy. Let's sell him to the Midianites who are coming by. They got all these myrrh, and they got all this stuff. Let's sell him. And they sell his brother away. Can you imagine the amount of rage that his brothers must have felt toward him? Now, can you imagine how Joseph must have felt that he was hated like this by his brothers? So he was sold. And the story of, of, of Joseph continues in that Joseph was sold to this uh, official uh, of Pharaoh named Potiphar. Now, in the process of all this, Joseph is not walking around defeated, just hoping that he would die. The Bible teaches us that he gained favor no matter where he went. Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and he did everything in excellence. He worked in excellence. He worked well. He got the attention of Potiphar. The Bible says that Potiphar put him above everything in his house. Isn't that incredible? So here is Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, owned by Potiphar, and now probably his status of living is greater because Potiphar, an official, has put him a second in his house. Isn't that incredible? But guess what follows Joseph? Conflict follows Joseph. Potiphar's wife is attracted to Joseph, possibly because of God's favor over his life and his demeanor, right? And uh, the Bible says that she continued to pressure Joseph and that she continued to make advances at Joseph. And Joseph said, how could I sleep with you? I'm second in your husband's house. The only thing he's withheld, he's withheld from me is you because you're his wife. Why in the world would I do this to my master? And often the Bible, the Bible says that he tried to avoid her over and over again. But at one point, at one lapse in Joseph's walk or, or whatever it was that led him to a place where he was unaware, he was in the home with that woman by himself. And she approached him and grabbed him and he fled for his life. The only problem is, is that she grabbed a hold of his clothes and they were with her as he ran away. In her embarrassment and in her shame, she cried out, this Hebrew slave has tried to take advantage of me. And of course, this wasn't going to work so well for Joseph. Here is Joseph sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's favors him. Now Potiphar's wife is making advances at him. She lies about him. Potiphar hears the story that supposedly Joseph is taking advantage of his, of his wife and he gets so furious that he puts him in prison to be confined. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us for how long he was going to be confined. What a crazy story. Now the story doesn't end there. Joseph in prison apparently still has the favor of God. And in the process of that, Joseph doesn't give up on life, but rather he is a blessing while he is there. 
The Bible says that God gave him favor and showed kindness to Joseph so that the warden showed favor to Joseph even in prison and put him above things there in prison. Now, while he was in prison, forgotten, not knowing how long he would be there, there was a cupbearer and a baker who both had dreams. And I want you to pay attention that Joseph didn't say, leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you about your dreams. I'm in prison. Who cares about your dreams? Get over it. Right? No, Joseph used the gift that God had given him, and he ministered to the cupbearer and the baker. He said to one, your dream means that you will serve the king. You will hold the cup of, uh, again of the king, and you will serve him. He said to the baker, your dream means you're going to be beheaded, right? So uh, not everybody got the same news or good news, but they got some news, and God used Joseph in the process of that. Joseph said to the cupbearer, do not forget me when you're released from prison. But the cupbearer did forgive, forget him. He forgot him for two years. And the only thing that reminded the cupbearer of Joseph was when Pharaoh the highest authority in the world at that given moment in history, other than God himself, Pharaoh had a dream that disturbed him. A dream where uh, wheat was taken over by, uh, by, by malnutrition or, or wheat that was no good. Uh, and a malnutrition cow swallowed up a big, healthy cow, yet didn't become greater or better. And he was disturbed because he had no interpretation. He, uh, he didn't understand what was going on. The Bible says that the cupbearer all of a sudden said, Oh, <laughs> you know what, Pharaoh? I forgot. Listen, I was in prison and there's this guy who told me what would happen to me. I, I believe he's able to give you the interpretation of your dream. So Joseph is cleaned up after being in prison. He's brought before the king or before Pharaoh. And he gives the interpretation of the dream. And you know the story. Now Joseph is second only to Pharaoh because Pharaoh is so impressed by the wisdom that Joseph had. In the process of this, we know that the, seven, the, the dream interpreted was that there will be seven years of famine um, and that there will be seven years of fruitfulness. The seven years of fruitfulness will, be co will come first and then the seven years of famine will come later. And what the dream meant was that the seven years of famine will be so great and so powerful that it would be as if the seven years of fruitfulness would, would have not ever exist, even existed. Now, God put, uh, Pharaoh puts Joseph as second in command and I want us to pick up the scripture there. If you go with me, I want to read to you Genesis 41, 50 through 51. So far, this is Joseph's life. Um, Joseph has, been gone, has gone through some great opposition. Now he's second to Pharaoh. He is blessed by God to be there. This is God's dream unfolding. The dream, the dream that God gave Joseph is now coming to be. And uh, this is something that is recorded about the life of Joseph. Genesis 41, 50 on down. This is after Joseph is put in power. And it, and it reads this way. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, 
For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's read that again. The name of the firstborn was Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Second, the name of the second is called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The story of Joseph goes on. He is reunited with his father. His father blesses his sons. I want us to focus right here. This is an important uh, passage of scripture where Joseph names his sons according to God's goodness over his life. Okay. Now what does Joseph's life and everything that I just shared with you teach us about waiting on God? Number one, as you wait on God, expect to face opposition. Are you with me? As you wait on God, expect to face opposition. Opposition may indicate that God is at work. I want you to notice something about Joseph, and this is the reality about Joseph, and, and this is the reality about you. Uh, God has favored you. Amen. Are you hearing the gospel today? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Have you given your life to Christ? You got the favor of God in your life. Amen. Second, God has called you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that you have been created to do good works that he created for you to do. Amen. There's a purpose in your life. And where God has favored and where God has given a purpose or a dream, you need to know that there will be opposition. Amen. There will be opposition. And that opposition doesn't mean that God is not for you. That opposition may be the vehicle that God is using to take you to where he wants you to be. I want you to notice how much opposition Joseph faced in his life. Think about it. His brothers hated him. Right? He was sold to Potiphar. This woman had made advances and lied about him. Right? He was in prison. Did, at any given moment, did God reveal to him what was going on or what God was trying to do? Does Joseph have the privilege that we have to look towards the picture of the scriptures and know what's going to happen at the end joseph has no idea opposition is a reality for us as believers as we follow and obey god don't curse or rebuke the opposition and maybe exactly what god has brought your way to bring you closer to him second as we wait on god we have a choice we can be victims of bitterness, or we can make the best out of the waiting. Okay, let me repeat that again. As we wait on God, we have a choice to make about our attitudes and our souls. We can be victims of bitterness, or we can make the best out of the waiting on God. Okay, let me just... There was a choice that Joseph had to make, and that choice was, look... He, he could have been, you know, I'm just bitter. Can you believe God's done this to me? I've done nothing wrong, right? He could have sat here and just complained. Oh, you know, if it's not one thing, it's another. I just can't get out of this circumstance. It just seems that trouble, 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 trouble. Right? He could have done that. He could have sang his own woe. But rather, he lived in excellence, right? 
He didn't allow himself to be overwhelmed by what was going on in his his life. He realized he had a choice to be bitter or make the best out of his circumstance. You know, sometimes I think that we miss out on God's glory in the midst of our trials because we're not making the best out of our circumstance. You know, sometimes I think that we miss out on God's glory in the midst of our trials because we're not making the best out of our circumstance. You cannot control your circumstance, but you can make a decision about your attitude. You cannot control what God has allowed you to go through at times, but you can do something about the way and the things that you will say and the way that you will act. You know, Joseph could have easily said, oh, I'm worthless. I don't care what you do with me. Just kill me. My life is over. Right? But instead, in excellence, he served Potiphar. He could have called the quits in prison and just rocked himself to death. It's over. It's over. It's over. Instead, he served in excellence. What are we doing today with our circumstances? Are we allowing them to make us bitter? Or are we making a choice to make the best out of our present circumstance? I'm going to tell you what, this is one of the hardest things to do. It's real easy to complain. It's real easy to fall in the trap of bitterness. But I'm telling you, that is quitting on God's journey. That's quitting. That is relinquishing uh, our, our victory as we wait on God. Third, I want to share this with you. Pay attention to this, please. Do God's will as you're waiting on God and you don't know what in the world he's got planned or what he's doing. Just do his will and don't fall in love with your own expectations. Listen, you know, there are times where I could easily pray, you know, God, I I have another idea about how to go about this. If you ask me. I have recommendations. I mean, not that you need me to get in the way or anything, but if you let me, (laughs) right? And oftentimes we do that anyway, right? We wouldn't talk to God like that because it sounds retarded. You know, it sounds awful to talk to God that way, but don't we talk to our brothers and sisters that way when we're complaining instead of praying to God about the situation? Well, you know, Uh, I don't know what God's doing, but I believe he's doing something. I'm just trusting in the Lord. Right? There's absolutely defeat all over that, right? Well, I don't have anything else to do but pray. God forbid we pray. God forbid that's our last resource, you know, connecting to the God of the universe who owns everything. Right? We just think about the way that we talk and the way we act. Do God's will and don't fall in love with your own expectation because God may give you a dream, a calling, and show it to you. And His way to getting you there is completely different than the shortcut you want to take. Are you, are you with me? God doesn't care about our suggestions. I believe 100% that oftentimes God just wants to say to me, Carlos, I don't need a Scrappy-Doo screaming at my heels. You remember Scrappy-Doo from Scooby-Doo? You remember the little dog, he's like, let me at him, let me at him. I think sometimes that's what I must sound to God. And God's like, just be still and know that I am God, right? We need to learn not to fall in love with our own expectations. God has the right to ruin your expectations. God has the right 
to ruin what you expect to happen because he has good intentions toward you to bless you with a hope and a future. And what he has for you is greater than what you can have for yourself. Amen? I share this with you. God, as we wait on God, we need to know that God may propel us forward out of what appears to be a setback. Right? Out of what appears to be a setback, God can use that to bring us closer to his destiny for our lives. Now take, for example, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. If that wouldn't have happened, right, he would have never arrived at Potiphar's house. And if Potiphar wouldn't have been angry and put him in prison, he would have never arrived at Pharaoh's court. God used everything that appeared to be a setback in Joseph's life for his glory. Isn't that incredible? It makes me wonder how many things do I consider a setback in my life that God is using for his glory to get me to the destination. Right? And how many things could be a part of your life right now? Maybe not you because you're just in tune with God's time and his ways. How many things in our lives do we consider a setback? And God's just saying, hey, get on board. This is exactly what I've destined for you so that you would go to the place where I've called you to be. That's, that's, a, that's a difficult reality to come to grips with. Because that means that there will be some giants in front of us that we don't want to confront. Some things that we're going to have to undergo. Some problems we're going to have to deal with for some time. Some deserts God wants us to walk through for years before we get to where we're supposed to be. Are we okay with that? Because God may propel you forward out of what appears to you to be a setback. And then ultimately, this is what you need to know about waiting on God. If we wait on God, and we'll close with this, keep our eyes on Him and remain faithful to Him by making the best out of every circumstance, by trusting in His will and not falling in love with our own expectation, by understanding that opposition is used by God, this is the outcome. The outcome is Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim awaits those who put and keep their faith in God. Are you with me? Look, everything that you're going through in life, and I'm going to close with this, everything that you're encountering, even the things that you don't understand, all of it is, I believe that God is working this in your life, Manasseh and Ephraim. I believe that God wants you to be able to declare, man, everything that I've been through, uh, I, I don't even hold on to the struggles and the trouble and the bitterness of all that. God has made me forget all that. And I believe that God wants you to get to a place where you say, God has made me fruitful and he has blessed me in the place where I've gone through great trouble and the place of great affliction. You know what I mean? But the problem is most of us just bail out of the places of great affliction instead of remaining in that place and seeing what miraculous thing God is going to do to deliver us out of it or through it. Amen? I believe with all my heart that God wants to give you Manasseh. God has made me forget my house, the affliction, the pain, the hate, everything that I faced at home. And Ephraim, God has made me fruitful. He's blessed me with peace, with favor, prospered me financially. He has, he has lifted me up out of the place of my greatest affliction. 
Isn't that incredible? I pray that would be the reality of your life today. Amen. Would you stand with me? Praise God. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. So difficult. So difficult. But so worth it. So worth it. Lord, we turn to you. We all have our set of circumstances that we're going through right now. We're all under some deep waters right now in, so, in one level or another. Going through something. And we're waiting on you. We're waiting on you. Lord, I pray. God, for just your mercy. Your mercy to come over us today. Your mercy to cover us today. There are some of us who have relinquished victory because in the waiting we've just been done with praising and worshiping you. We're just doing things our own way. But I believe today you're calling us back to obedience. You're calling us back to trust in you. Thank you for that. Thank you that you're a merciful God, that you don't give up on us as easy as we give up on you. Lord God, I believe that today there are those who are going through some things and they've given up to complain. You know, they, they, we've just been complaining about it. We've been going through some hard things. And we've lost hope. And that we're not making the best out of the circumstances that we're going through. Neither do we know how to make the best out of the circumstances that we're going through. I pray, God, would you teach us? Teach us. Reveal to us how to make the best out of the circumstance that we're in right now. How can we bless you? How can we bless you in the midst of what we're going through right now? And Lord, right now there are some people in a land of great affliction and great suffering. They can't wait for it to be over. They're in real pain. They are really hurting. And God, they need you desperately. And I pray, God, today that you would take that land of affliction in their lives and that you would make it a, grow, a place where, you're, where, where peace where faith, where joy, where your grace, where prosperity would flourish them because they have chosen to trust you instead of bailing out. Take our land of affliction and glorify yourself in it. Show yourself, God. Glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I, I, I need prayer today. I'm going through something right now, and uh, I just, I just want to make the best out of my circumstance. I want to honor God by living in excellence and, and making the best out of what I'm going through right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Amen. I need to make the best out of the circumstance. This circumstance is overwhelming me. I know that I'm waiting on God, but I, I haven't been waiting with the best of attitudes. Would you pray for me, Pastor, that I would... Learn to make the best, honor God, to have the right attitude as I wait on Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your presence. Lord, I thank You for uh, just strengthening them. God, thank You for filling Your people with joy. Lord, I thank You, Father, right now, God, for strength to remain. Strength in the name of Jesus to speak to their souls. 
and speak to their attitude and say, I will bless the Lord. I will praise Him. I will stand. I will not quit. I will make the best out of the circumstance that I'm in right now and honor my God and wait for Him to show up in glory and power. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I declare it. By faith, I will stand and make the best out of my circumstance, believing that my God will do miraculous things. In Jesus' name, God, we pray these things. If that's you and you need to spend time at the altar right now praying, would you come to the altar right now? Let's pray for you. Let's pray for you. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I am, I am, I am hurting right now. I'm in the land of affliction. I'm going through some things that are outside of my control. I need, I need God's strength. I need God's strength. I, I feel like I'm at a brink of, of I'm at the point of giving up. And I, I need prayer that God would strengthen me, that God would give me resolve through this. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Let's pray for you. Let's pray for you. You're saying, I'm in the land of affliction. And I don't want to give up. I want to see God make fruitful Make me fruitful and glorify himself in this place that I'm in right now. To come to the altar and just spend time with God. Say, I don't want to quit on him. I want to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I want to hear Papa declare over me Manasseh and Ephraim. I want to be able to say that. I want to say it over my family. I want to be able to say, look at where we were and look at where we're at now. Living in Manasseh and Ephraim. Father, right now we turn to you. We thank you. Do your mighty work in your people. Hallelujah. Deliver us today. Strengthen us today. Hallelujah. Father, I declare Manasseh and Ephraim over your people. I pray, God, that you would make them fruitful in the land of their affliction. God, I thank you that you would make them forget the sorrows and the hurts, God, but that they would see how your hand has been with them even through and through. Glorify your name through them, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. We're going to be praying here at the altar with those who are here. If you need prayer, we welcome you to come to the altar. We'd love to pray with you. Amen.